Okay, just for the record, I want to make it clear right here at the start that what you've heard is absolutely true. Scythe totally matters. Hi, and welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer YouTube series and podcast. I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media, and we are here today to talk about End of Days, the 21st episode of Season 7. End of Days aired on May 13, 2003, and was written by Doug Petrie and Jane Espenson, with Rebecca Rand Kirshner as executive story editor and Drew Z. Greenberg as story editor. This episode was directed by Marita Grabiak. End of Days is the penultimate episode of the season and the series. It's a big episode with a splashy cameo from a beloved old vampire friend and big movement forward as we march toward the finale. If I didn't know I was starting over again at season one as soon as this is over, I'd be crying right now. All right, let's go on patrol. In End of Days, the potentials who survived the bomb blast grab an unconscious faith and try to escape the vineyard just as Buffy frees the magical scythe from the stone. She's ready to fight Caleb, but the first sends her away. Fake kaboom. As the potentials are surrounded by multiple uber vamps, Buffy arrives and saves the day using the scythe to easily cut down the bad guys. Get the wounded. We're leaving. Back at the house, Faith is taken upstairs to recover while Andrew and Anya tend to the injured girls. Many of these girls will die. Slaughterhouse is what it is. What? Giles and Willow research to try to find out what the scythe is and understand its magical powers without getting much of anywhere. But when Faith holds the weapon, she feels its powers. It feels like... like it's mine. I guess that means it's yours. Ripped sheets are running low, so Andrew and Anya go to the abandoned local hospital to get medical supplies, during which time Andrew makes a shocking discovery about Anya. You love humans. I do not. You love them. Stop it! As Buffy's about to visit a local temple to find out more about the side's origins, Spike shows up and they have an awkward post-mortem on their night together. It was the best night of my life. Buffy asks Xander for a favor, to take Dawn away from the danger. He knocks her out and drives her out of town, leaving Dawn with a letter from Buffy explaining everything, which Dawn will completely respect and... Oh wait, no! She tasered Xander and is heading back to Sunnydale, driving over Xander's unconscious body from the passenger side of the car. No, that's fine decision-making, Dawn. You do you, girl. Buffy goes to the temple and meets a mystical woman who tells her the history of the scythe, but before she can learn much, Caleb kills the woman and attacks. Just as he's getting the upper hand, Angel appears and helps out, then steps back to watch the proceedings. You are so gonna lose. Buffy slices Caleb, then turns around to greet Angel with a kiss, while Spike watches on from the shadows. That bitch. We're at that point in the season when episodes become less episodic and more serial, and that's okay, because this is really the middle part of a three-part season finale, which started with last week's Touched, which is why I didn't complain about the cliffhanger ending. And when I complain about this week's cliffhanger ending, it won't be because it's a cliffhanger. It'll be because it's a stupid false conflict, but we'll get there when we get there. Traditionally, the middle part of a three-part series is not that exciting, and End of Days is basically Buffy's The Two Towers. We're sliding our moving pieces into place, getting some research done on the magical whoozy-wutsy that might be the answer to everything, and even taking time for this delightful nonsense. Wheelchair fight? 
There isn't much cohesion here, no big stories happening, just hopping from room to room like a nervous mother checking on all the kids. So, let's make the rounds. Because the question now, girly girl, is can you pry it from solid rock before I come over there? We open and close the episode with Caleb, although the term of his relevance is rapidly coming to a close. And honestly, it's a question if he was ever actually relevant. He existed merely to give us something powerful and physical to fight, and that pulls directly against what the first is all about. Being inside, a psychological enemy from within. Here we have this great opportunity to give Buffy something to fight that isn't physical, and then we make it physical, first with the Uber Vamp, and now with Caleb, as the first watch is on, and honestly, doesn't do much but evil cheerlead and be distracting, like it didn't touched. Caleb, this is getting embarrassing. Do you have to look like that? Will you concentrate? It's just a little confusing. Fine, go, kill. Not to mention, we've got this Susie the scythe that is the key to Buffy's victory. Seems pretty damn important, right? But when Buffy whips it out of the stone they've been trying to free it from all this time, the first gives the non-corporeal version of a shrug. I said let her go. I let her go. She slices me open with that thing. No, she doesn't. She hasn't got time. She has friends. And her friends are in trouble. Oh, okay. So the thing that's such a big deal that you've been camped out to the vineyard trying to free it from a rock for months so this girl doesn't get it is, now that she has it, not that big a deal? Also, in what universe does Buffy getting to the side not spell bad news for Caleb? The first doesn't join a team, it doesn't have sides, you serve it, and when you fail, you die a painful, horrible death. The first gave Caleb its power. It can take that power back and have the bringers devour Caleb right now. Why isn't Caleb begging for his life? He had one job and he fucked it up, and the first has a literal thousand bringers. It can promote one, do the merge, make it kill Caleb, and have it try to get the scythe back. But right now, the first shouldn't be calm and understanding. Right now, the first should be pissed and after blood. But instead, it's sending Buffy away with the scythe to rescue Faith and the potentials. Why? And once again, as we've said over and over again with regard to the first, it doesn't make sense. Season 7 had such a great opportunity for the first to infect evil in the townspeople, making them do evil, a battleground from within, people Buffy can't really fight because they're just victims of the first. Make Buffy fight in an internal space rather than an external space. Have the first take one of Buffy's own and make that person into its henchman, which we did with Spike for a little while, but that didn't stick. So much potential for a fight like Buffy has never seen before. Instead, we get this weak, flaccid nonsense while Buffy goes off to save the potentials from the actual scary things, the uber vamps. Speaking of which, where they all come from anyway? The seal is at the high school, not here, and it's been, you know, sealed, or so we were led to believe. I mean, not that bleeding someone else to open the seal is that big a job for a thousand bringers, but it seems significant, the kind of thing that might have been foreshadowed or something. We saw what Buffy saw, a shit ton of uber vamps below the seal, but if someone got the uber vamp vending machine working, we should know the context. First of all, we have about four or five of them here. Does that mean the vending machine is just open now and they're all crawling out like ants from some anthill of evil? 
Oh, by the way, not for nothing, but I had ants and nothing killed them until I tried this DIY thing with borax. So if you guys have ants, just go look it up on YouTube and I swear it works like magic. Anyway, we got a lot of uber vamps and I'd just like to know where the hell they all came from, when, how, and why if you can let out four. The first didn't just whip open the seal like a can of beans and spill them out all over town. See, it just doesn't make sense. So it's true, scythe matters. And ignoring that, I'd just like to point out this is really quite ingenious. Kill strong bodies three ways. First of all, unbutton that top button, Giles. You're choking your sense of humor. That was a good joke. And second, what's the third way it kills strong bodies? You got the axe on one end, the stake on the other, and... What? Does it scare bad guys so much they pee themselves and drop from fear? I mean, no spoilers. We're going to see the third thing it does, but we don't know about that yet, so I'm a little confused. Regardless, the scythe is pretty awesome. I love the design of it. I love the King Arthur element. And even though the first kind of shrugs and says, oh, well, when Buffy gets it, it's kind of cool. That said, some of the world building around it is a little weird. We forged it in secrecy and kept it hidden from the shadow men. Yeah, met those guys. Didn't really care too much for them. Ah, yes. Then you know. And they became the Watchers. And the Watchers watched the Slayers. But we were watching them. Okay, so I've had my questions about the Watchers and the Watchers Council and the whole patriarchal element of Slayer world building, but now we have this group of powerful and apparently immortal women who have had this powerful weapon buried in a rock in a Sunnydale vineyard all this time, supposedly watching the Watchers, but doing absolutely nothing to help the Slayers for what appears to be millennia. And I have to say, as a feminist warrior group, they've kind of been asleep at the wheel. Also, here's this temple in the middle of, of all places, a Sunnydale cemetery this whole time and no one thought, huh, that's weird, might want to check that out. And what has this lady been doing all this time? Playing Angry Birds? Watching the Watchers but not doing anything to combat their patriarchal bullshit? It's all cool until you think about it and then you're like, Gloria Steinem would have never co-signed this crap. Not to mention... We've got this woman who has been hanging out in this temple forever just waiting for an apocalypse that passes the qualifying exam for being apocalypsy enough, which apparently the master's return, Akathla sucking the world into hell, the mayor becoming a giant snake, Adam doing whatever it was Adam was doing, Glory opening up a portal to an evil hell dimension, and Willow destroying the world all failed. All that was not a big enough deal for this woman, and she's not even important enough for her to be given a name. Well, she has one now. Dr. Kelly Jones of Southern Fried Scholar, my co-host for Still Dead, the Angel podcast, did a fan fiction writing exercise about the world building around this woman, which I've included in the show notes, and since no one else has ever bothered to give this woman a freaking name, I'm gonna headcanon it from Kelly's story. It's Hasaka. The story's in the show notes. Enjoy. It's pretty cute. Me, by myself all the time. And looking at you, everything you have. And I don't know, jealous. And then there I am. Everybody's looking to me, trusting me to lead them, and I've never felt so alone in my entire life. Yeah. And that's you, every day, isn't it? I love my friends. I'm very grateful for them. But that's the price, being a slayer. This scene with Buffy and Faith is short but powerful. From Faith holding the scythe and feeling the power then handing it back to Buffy to a realization of how lonely it is to be the Slayer. It's great stuff. 
There is always loneliness to exceptionalism. Let's not forget what Spike said to Buffy just last week, along with her response. You're the one, Buffy. I don't want to be the one. The one. The terminology itself speaks to being alone. You get a choice in life. You get to be exceptional. Or you can have a community who can understand you and who you can understand. People strive to be exceptional. They want to be the best. They want to win awards and be recognized and be successful and make it to the top, right? But if you're at the top, you're higher than everyone else. You are, by your very nature, separate, alone. When we, the assembled masses, look at these people who are so exceptional by their very nature, the kid who gets his PhD at 16, the actress who is so famous she can't leave her house, the slayer, we kind of want that. We want the attention, the validation, the shiny patina that comes with being exceptional. But the very nature of exceptionalism is loneliness. There are some people who can understand what it's like, but due to what it means to be exceptional, there are very few of them, and there's no guarantee that most of them aren't assholes. Community gets thinner at the top, and people need community in order to thrive and be happy. Buffy has community, she has friends, and she blames herself for keeping herself separate from them, as we saw last week in Touched. I've always cut myself off. I've always... Being the Slayer made me different. But it's my fault I stayed that way. People are always trying to connect to me. I just slip away. All right, that is not her fault. Since the end of season one, Buffy has been separate from the community that supports her, and even the men she's loved and tried to be close with couldn't share that space with her. Even Spike can't, but at least he knows exactly what she is, which is more than she got with anyone else. Except maybe Angel, but he left her to give her a chance at something she could never have anyway, a normal life. He failed to understand the essential loneliness that is being the Slayer, which seems weird because up until Spike, he was the only vampire with a soul, which also kept him essentially separate from the only community he could belong to, which may be why the only time we really see Angel happy is when he's jealous. But that's a discussion for another podcast, perhaps. But now, finally, for Buffy, someone else knows. Faith. Now, Buffy has someone who knows what it is to be the Slayer. And we'll pick this topic up again next week. You're dope. And a bonehead. And you're shirty. Have you gone completely keratop? Do you see this? This may actually help me fight my war. This might be the key to everything. And the reason I'm holding it is because of you. We don't get much Buffy and Spike in this episode aside from this brief post-mortem on what their night together meant. And of course, the stupid cliffhanger at the end. So let's deal with those separately. The postmortem between Buffy and Spike is nice, and it shows that there's a genuine love and affection going both ways between them. But this is new for both of them. His soul means he can finally love her for real, but it also gives him the knowledge of why she can never love him back. Except maybe she can. Being the Slayer makes her essentially alone, as we've discussed, but the fact that he knows and understands that and understands what she is means that he can be in that space with her. When he told her she was the one, I don't think he was speaking romantically that she's the one for him. She's the one, the one who saves, the one who fights, the one who can do things no one else can, the one who is exceptional. And here we have them traipsing quietly into a space of possibility and then setting it aside for later. If they survive the fight, they can talk about it then. 
The way he opens up to her, shares his fear and his bewilderment at this new emotional space, is so nice. I've lived for sodden ever, Buffy. I've done everything. I've done things with you I can't spell, but I've never been close to anyone, least of all you. And then we get this. That bitch. And we ruin everything. First of all, I'm sorry, but no way do Angel and Buffy kiss like that after everything they've been through. Angel and Buffy are past that part of their relationship. They are now good friends, but the romance is over and has been for a long time. He showed up at Joyce's funeral and was a friend, and when Buffy was resurrected, they spent some time together off screen, but that was never addressed in detail. And based on what was said, it wasn't romantic. So there are only two reasons for Angel and Buffy's kiss like that. One, to pander to the Bengals, and two, to make Spike jealous and get us all worried that the first will use that jealousy to get a foothold with Spike. Neither of these are solid narrative choices, and without being too spoilery, we instantly take it all back in the next episode. It's a cheap grab for the gasp, and that's not great storytelling. All right, that's it for today. Now, as we turn the corner getting close to the last episode of Buffy, I want to share with you a little video I shot with a friend to let you know about the future of Still Pretty. Hi, welcome to Chipperish Media. This is Noelle LaCroix, who is my new co-host for the the new Still Pretty. You want to tell the folks about Still Pretty? Yeah, Still Pretty is going to start over at season one Mm -hmm. on May 31st. Um, It's going to be a traditional conversational podcast, so you won't be able to see our beautiful faces. But uh, we will be starting back at the beginning, and we're going to get into some really exciting stuff. Yes, it's going to be a great time, so please join us. All you have to do is stay subscribed to the feed that you're already subscribed to. So if you're watching this on video, however, you will want to go and subscribe to the podcast feed. Just search for Still Pretty in the podcast app of your choice. For those who are listening to this in the audio version, you're all set. You're fine. you got no problems. Congratulations to you. There we go. We're all set. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Thanks so much. We'll see you in podcast land. Bye. Bye. All right, as we said, we're starting over from the beginning with Still Pretty as a conversational podcast. So if you're not yet subscribed to the podcast feed, search for Still Pretty in your podcast app of choice. But don't unsubscribe here at YouTube. There are also some plans in the works to continue doing some video work with regard to Buffy. And here is a quick clue about that. All right, I'll see you next time with my thoughts on Season 7, Episode 22, Chosen. Until then, stay pretty. Still Pretty is a chipperish media production and is entirely patron supported. To find out how you can keep us in production, visit patreon.com/chipperish. Chipperish.